Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody. It's Lenny Murphy. Welcome to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to share some of your day with us as we share cool stuff with you. And on that note, this is going to be very cool. So my guest today is Andy Govindia, the co-founder and CEO of Riveter. Andy, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. So you and I connected at the end of last year because I saw Riveter's technology. I forget exactly how that happened, but I'm glad that it did. And I thought, okay, this is really cool because it's such a different approach and evolutionary approach to social media analytics in a kind of a broad category. But we'll, we'll get into all that. So why don't we first give our audience a little bit of background on you and on Riveter, and then we'll get into the, what got me excited about what you're doing. Of course. Yes. I'm Andy. I founded, co-founded Riveter about eight years ago with my co-founders, Chris Woodbeck and Rachel Chen. And what we focus on is giving brands predictive insight using the visuals that consumers and tastemakers share on social media. So it's as simple as that. We look at posts and social media, predict what trends are going to be big, how consumers' preferences are changing, and in particular, how they're demonstrating this through their photos. Okay. Although I don't think you did it justice. Andy. <laughs> so what brought you to founding Riveter? And what was that journey where you thought, here is something that there is a gap in the market, and we think that there's a real use case for driving value through this type of analysis and, and solution? Now, prior to Riveter, I'd spent about seven years in marketing. And so I think I had always had this desire to really see how my customers and consumers were using products in the real setting. So I think that that itch was always there to scratch. But actually looking back, the formative experience was in my very first college internship. So I was an intern for the Livestrong Foundation. And this was the summer that they launched the Yellow Wristband campaign. So this was in 2014-2015, this little partnership with Nike. And it was this yellow wristband that people could purchase to show support for cancer research. And my job as a public relations intern was to visually track every time that we saw a celebrity wear this wristband. And I had to make a little visual scrapbook. This was before social media. So it would usually be looking for clips of them on talk shows or them at events and and cataloging all, all of this. And I got to see a couple of really cool things through that. One was just the power of visual virality that a lot of these celebrities and tastemakers were wearing this didn't usually talk about it, but it was a signal of their their value system and what they believed in, and then just how fast this grew. So within the three months that I was an intern there, uh, the partnership started at a $4 million partnership with Nike, grew into $10 million. They renewed it in, in that summer, um, and since then, it's raised about $20 million. So I think that was a formative thing just to see, you know, there are things that people are expressing in, in visual ways that we're not talking about. And that there's a network effect of when people share with the people around them how something can spread. And 
So fast forward to social media today, and we get to really see that in action and, and see that live. And that's where we got to with Riveter. And so along came Instagram, right? Exactly. <laughs> so along came Instagram, right? And suddenly we were able to look at images at scale. And I think what excited me about Riveter was I had been looking for a solution to be able to do what traditional social media analytics, text-based social media analytics was doing with images. But I hadn't seen anybody who had really gotten to the point of uh, adapting kind of that same model and building out that predictive algorithm and, and that insights function around images. And you guys did. So can you talk a little bit about that journey? Because you started in 2015, right? It, there's this you know, Moore's law of technology innovation that's happened since then. So what was it like in the early days and what got you to the point where you thought, wow, okay, we can truly do this at scale? You know, I got really lucky because I was introduced to my co-founders just with this idea. So I have no technological background. I can just have ideas and talk about them. And it just so happened that Chris and Rachel had been working in computer vision in a way that at the time made them look kind of crazy. Right? So the whole field was going into kind of the Googles of the world and the ImageNets of the world. And it was about can computer vision label the world? And that was the whole use case was, was search and find. And at that time, Chris and Rachel said, well, what if our computer sees something that hasn't been seen before? How will we teach it to interpret what it sees? And how can we kind of teach a computer to think about what it's seeing and describe and classify rather than just labeling it outright? And so I met them about 10 years into this journey of, of them making this technology. And lo and behold, what that became really good for was describing products. So things like fashion items, things like beauty. And as we started bringing this technology to brands and retailers, we realized that they were the ones who wanted that level of specificity. So beauty had gone pretty much underserved or unserved by social analytics other than text. And for them to be able to say, here are the hair colors that are going to be trending, or here are the lip colors that are going up, and I don't have to go and you know, copy paste images like Andy did when she was an intern <laughs> at the Liz Strong Foundation. That just became a really good fit. Now, so that brings up an, an interesting point, and I think especially the obvious use case for me for the, this basic idea of technology was logos, right? Something that, that's really easy to identify, you know, I'm holding a Coke can, right, or whatever. But it's interesting that you focused on beauty, which I wouldn't have intuitively thought was an easy application of the technology, <laughs> right? And as an early trend spotting solution versus just a, a counting solution. Oh, yes, look, we see, you know, 100 people were you know, showing Revlon or whatever the case may be. So how did you get to that point of, obviously, you identified the market gap that, you know, there was an opportunity there within beauty, but technologically to be able to identify the hair color in those things. I just think that that's fascinating because I would assume that there's an awful lot of gradation and granularity in that. So without giving away the, the secret, the secret sauce, <laughs> but you know, can you talk a little bit about that training process? I think this is where insights really comes into play, right? So we originally started with this incredible visual search technology. And as we were talking to brands and retailers more, we were talking to them about, you know, shop with a picture and kind of the, the most obvious application for the technology. And they said, well, what happens if a consumer comes to my website and is looking for something that I don't have? 
or that I'm out of stock in? Doesn't that reveal more about the fact that I don't understand my consumer, about the fact that they wanted something that they came to me expecting to have for them and I didn't have that? And so that's where the idea of are there places where consumers are sharing these things and can we use that to inform assortment decisions and product development decisions and marketing decisions? And so that's kind of what led us to the, to the side of insight. And so in talking to these companies, those assortment decisions really are at that granular of a level. They said, well, we're making billion dollar decisions on red versus pink and brown versus blonde. And we need it at that granularity level. Can you teach the machine to recognize the finish of the lip or the uh, dye application technique of, of the hair? And in working with these subject matter experts, I think that's what really helped us to know, here's what's valuable to them. Here's what they're actually going to use. And let's throw this at the machine and see what happens. And sure enough, it can figure out the difference between highlights and ombre and balayage. And my co-founders know way more about hair dye than <laughs> I ever thought they would. But that's the level of detail that our customers need. So, but you want to step further than that because you also started identifying, you know, effectively communities, brand communities within the solution. And you can you tell us a little bit about that intersection? And again, without making it too complicated, what impressed me about Riveter was it wasn't just a, a counting tool. You combined it with things uh, with solutions like a predictive algorithm, you know, with things that would be really helpful in early stage ideation and product development, as well as kind of tracking and identifying these populations and, you know, what they look like. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause it's just such a, a well-baked solution. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it, it has been hard wrought and, and the product of people's requests. And that's the beauty of social, right? Is that People, it's just another means for which people to organize themselves like they want to in real life. And so just as in real life, people organize themselves into communities on social by virtue of the conversations that they participate in or the people that they tag or the people that they follow. And so we're actually able to see that network graph in, in social media. And we can see, oh, when Haley Bieber dyed her hair turquoise a month later, Billie Eilish, who's in her network, dyed her hair turquoise. <laughs> we can actually see that that thing that binds them and follow this. And our customers asked us, you know, can you predict? Can you not only see what's going on now, but can you predict how big this trend is going to be, who it's going to be popular among, and how it's going to spread? And only through seeing these communities and knowing the diffusion of trends or innovation among them, can you actually map that? And so we've been doing that almost since the beginning, and we've been able to see trends sometimes 24 months in advance of really big ingredients or really big uh, kind of staples coming into the forefront just by virtue of what are the communities that they're popular among, who are the tastemakers in these communities, how much influence do they have, and can we see that there's a really good fit of this product that's coming onto market with, with the community that it's been meant to serve. Very cool. So what other categories, obviously there's a training component to it to start looking at other things, but where else have you found traction outside of health? I'm sorry, outside of a beauty, sorry. We've been kind of surprised. The visual categories were really intuitive to us. So beauty and fashion were really clear, but we've gotten requests from travel. People are booking their travel destinations based on where they want photos and what they see in photos. We've gotten requests even from communication. How are people using their phones and in what settings? And can we actually see whether they're with their family or with friends? And in food, one very popular 
uh, kind of frozen foods brand was saying, well, we want to be representative of the modern family. We want to show kind of the modern family in our ads. What does that look like? Can you show us the families that, that use our product in, in their day to day and the context that they use them in? So a wide variety of applications. I think it's not just the visual attributes of the product, but where that product is in context, who the people are with when they have that product around them. And seeing that setting is a big part of it as well. Let's go back to that brand community idea. So obviously there's the observational component and the predictive component. Is there an approach within Riveter to allow the brands to engage with those communities as well? Yes and no. I think you know, consumers really do want to see that brands are responding to the things that they're saying, and that's why they're tagging them, and that's why they're sharing these conversations with them. And so I think there's a big opportunity for brands to say, hey, we've, we've seen you, and we've heard you, and this is how we're responding to something that you wished existed in our product or something that you shared with us, and having that be part of the dialogue. And Riveter can serve to connect those, right? To say, here are the actual influencers and, and people who have shared these comments, and here's how many of them they are, and here's the circles that they operate in, here's the channels that you can reach them through, here's the people that they follow or the, the publications that they follow, here's how to connect with them. But ultimately, that relationship should be on the brand, and it should be them to directly make that that connection with their with their consumers and their audiences. Okay. Any plans to ever be that bridge directly to help enable that or let that yes. be, you know, <laughs> let the wall. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, what, what could you tell us about that? So one of the things that we really like is learning from, from our partners and from our customers. So recently we've been talking to a lot more of the agencies and talent managers and, and groups that work with creative talent, like, like influencers. And they talk about this idea of can we take people who don't necessarily have a huge, huge following, but they're influential in the communities that they operate in and make a really good match between them and the brands? And so being equipped with here's quantitative data that shows how good that matches and here's information to show how influential they are in beauty versus fashion versus categories that previously I think we kind of painted with a broad brush and assigned creators to, to all categories. And there really is an aspect of fit to that. And so being able to make that pairing in a way that is going to generate a good return for a brand is something that we're working on in partnership with, with exactly those people. So it's one of the things that I found really interesting about Riveter is you don't think of yourself as an insights company. You play within insights, but obviously based on the discussion we just had, right, you see a broader role for what I assume you do. I shouldn't put words in your mouth. You tell me if I'm right with this, a broader role to help enable data-driven connections, if I could kind of summarize my take on what you're doing, which is an area that the traditional market research industry has been, oh, no, that, that's a third rail. I don't know if we want to touch that, right? But increasingly, I think it's, it, it is a needed component for companies in our space to be able to drive that more effectively. So first, am I right with that, <laughs> that read? Yes. Yeah. It's it's happened really organically, I think. And this is probably something that's true of all market researchers is that you deliver an insight and then you want to know that the company has taken it on and that they've done something with it. And most of the time you don't get to see that. And so I think for us, it was, well, what can we do to bridge that gap? How tactical can we make these recommendations and these insights 
and started realizing that a big part of the gap is actually being able to reach these creators and reach these communities in that organic way and, and the way that we're recommending. And so that's a, a gap that we've we've sought to fill. And then I think the other bit is just, you know, kind of thinking about it comes with the nature of being in AI. You're with something that can seem foreign and scary. And so you're thinking about how do I make this as routine as possible? How do I bake it into what people are already doing? How do I meet people where they are? And so those automations of what would what decision would the machine make for you? Can I can I make it for you? Can I let you have insight into that? Has been a part of that as well. All right. So let's tack into that because you know there was AI, and then there were <laughs> then here came November right, of last year, and all of a sudden there was oh crap AI. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so the generative AI, which really has been, uh, it's been amazing to watch about the virality, right? But the just explosion of use cases with that technology, uh, and I'm sure, you know, you knew, you knew it was there, I knew it was there, but it wasn't, you know, suddenly available to everyone, right? For good and ill, right? I, mean, I think, we're, you know, so my understanding is that that technology is still primarily text-based, but I suspect that there's, you know, any minute now we'll see it expand around images. What do you think the future looks like now that, again, for lack of a better term, generative AI has entered the public domain and is exploding in uses? What does that look like for Riveter? And what do you think that looks like for the insights function or the insights arena as a whole? We're so excited about this because we love what it's done for the conversation. Someone gave me this analogy, which I thought was really great. They said, well, you don't understand, can you explain to me how alternating current works? <laughs> can you talk to me about how electricity is made? No, most people don't just know that they flip the switch and the light is on. And it was through bringing it into people's homes and bringing it into applications that people really understood, here's the power of electricity and I don't need to know the ins and outs of it to recognize how to use it. And I think that's what OpenAI and Generative AI have done for us is to say, okay, I don't need to be scared of this. I can treat this as a friend and <laughs> I can ask questions of it and I can get some insight. And there is generative AI for images, a little scary with faces, like it doesn't quite get them right. There's still something human there, but it is really cool to see how it's evolved and, and how the machines are learning. And so I think the future holds just a lot more sophistication and conversation in day-to-day -day life about here's where it has a place and here's what it can do for me. We love it for list generation, for example. Like we treat chat GPT like an intern. <laughs> it helps us to kind of gather, gather things together, gather thoughts, um, produce summaries. And then hopefully what comes along with it is sophistication in discernment as well, right? Because we are going to have to get really good at knowing if something was machine generated or human generated and, and how much to rely on that source. And being able to ask the right questions, being able to really critically poke at what went into this answer? What was what was the training, which can be obfuscated in, in, in a lot of these cases? And how do we have a conversation about that? And where, where are the limits? Um, so ChatGPT, as much as we love it, it's training stopped in May 2021. <laughs> so if I wanted to know what's happening now or wanted to get some predictions about the future, it can't do that. And so I think that's where solutions like ours come in and marry those things together and help kind of bridge that gap. So it's interesting. I was having a conversation yesterday with a, just a friend in the industry. And they brought up a topic that then came up again this morning with another conversation that I had not thought about. And 
I was aware of that technology being used already from a survey standpoint to commit fraud, right? Fraudulent responses. But just I'll give a shout out. It was Carrie Hecht from Echo, who was on the podcast not too long ago. She brought up the idea of, well, what if we turn it on its head and we can utilize these technologies to basically create personas and not need to get a thousand completes, but instead base it off of a hundred completes. So what does that do? And that was really interesting. Then the conversation this morning, I'll give another shout out to my friend, Dan Foreman. He brought the same idea and I thought, well, wow, that's cool, but kind of scary. But through our conversation, I get back to the idea, but then from a visual standpoint, we've got deep fakes. So how reliable can that be? Because you mentioned the, the discernment. And I think that's, that's hugely important because already I'm sure we've all seen you know, the videos or images that I couldn't tell that that was computer generated. I can tell it was a fake. So, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to organize my thought here because I think there's two important points that will be relevant for the industry as a whole to recognize. Where is the dividing line between recognizing that, yes, we can use these technologies to create and streamline processes and create real efficiencies and generate insights, and that's valuable. But we don't want to be tricked into, you know, with these fake things coming along that take us down the wrong paths, right? Lead us to the wrong conclusions because they're not authentic, even though the the underlying data may be real, it's still not real, real. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, sorry to say it's it's already been happening for a while, right? So we from our almost from the beginning of Riveter, we've had to build really sophisticated ways of detecting whether uh, people on Instagram were real people, whether they were purchased accounts that, you know, kind of operate as click farms, whether they were bot driven, whether even they were real people but their likes had been purchased and giving inauthentic measures. And so I think it is an obligation of the providers of these technologies, A, to think about how do we create those safeguards and put them in our technology? And then B, how are we transparent about what's going into the training? So that's something that we share with our customers. We show um, all of the images that will go into the training. They, uh, they're part of that quality assurance process to make sure that the machine's recognizing things correctly, that it's representing their, their full um, audience and, and the full diversity. And so I think these providers of AI have to be able and willing to share that as well. You know, there's a lot of controversy right now with generated images um, taking from art and artists. And they're saying, well, isn't this my signature brushstroke? And aren't you taking that from me and, and creating something out of it? And so I think the more transparent we can be, the more collaborative we can be from the creators and the sources from which we're taking this training uh, data the better on that side and ideally hand in hand that gives us some control over we know where this image came from <laughs> we know that whether it's real or whether it's ai generated and and ai actually helps in that so it's not the enemy here it can actually you know help show us hey this person's displaying a really weird like pattern <laughs> they're getting suddenly a boost of likes that's unnatural or this person suddenly talking about this one topic way more than the average person would at a rate and it helps to detect those anomalies for us as well. So I think it can be just as much of a of a help as a as a danger. What an interesting world we are living in, and I think particularly in the, the arena that you are in, because it, I suspect 
this is true, is that in, in social media, that is the most likely place to see the application of these technologies in maybe a not so virtuous way, right? So you've got your work cut out for you. <laughs> well, you know, we focus on making sure that we're talking to real people and that those real people are given a, a visual voice in front of brands. And ultimately, I think that transcends what the technology can do. It's, it's really just meant to enable that connection and enable it at scale. And the rest smooths the edges and it makes it a little bit faster. All right. So if I think back to the advent of social media analytics, right, in its broadest sense, there were so many predictions back in, you know, 2010 that, oh, this is going to replace, you know, traditional market research. We'll never need to do a focus group again. You'll never need to do a survey again. And that obviously has not occurred. Uh, I think we've seen the evolution of an augmentation of another tool that delivers complementary insights from a very different angle. But the research industry has been slow to bring in those tools into their toolbox. So what are some examples in your experience of helping to bridge that gap with any of your clients, you know, of the of kind of synthesizing the unique insights and capabilities of Riveter into a, a more of a holistic view of, okay, well, now we need to do you know, we need to do a survey or we need to do a focus group or whatever the case may be, right? To expand on this and, and do that. Can you share that with the audience and how you fit in that toolbox more synergistically? Yeah, that's a, that's a great observation. And it's, it's very true. I think over the last few years, we've gotten a lot better at meeting our customers where they are. And so if they want to keep doing their surveys, they should keep doing their surveys. If they want to do traditional ethnography, they should, they should keep doing that. And, and there's a really good time and place for that. And I think what we found is, can we meet those use cases hand in hand? So a great recent example is we had a customer who had done a massive multi-year segmentation process, 2,000 plus surveys um, segmenting their consumers into, into groups, into psychographic profiles. And they spent a lot of time and effort on this before we started working with them here. And so we said, okay, well, you're committed to these groups. You've put a lot of resource and investment in this. Let's take what you have and let's see if we can find these people on social media. So we took those segment profiles and essentially built lookalike audiences in our super panels and social media and said, here, here they are. Here are the people that you know well, that you've institutionalized in your company. And now you can just see them day to day. You can fill in those gaps between the surveys and you can form a holistic understanding. You can identify creators and influencers who put those profiles to work with. You can see what products are going up or down, who they're mentioning, all of this to kind of keep that close pulse. And so it's really kind of how do we fill in the cracks between those big research projects and provide a pulse and provide directional guidance in between. And then also ideally, hopefully be used as a quick answer. So if I have a hunch or I just want to see if I should bring an idea to a meeting, having something quick that gives me that, that answer where I don't want to commission a, a large survey or, or do something a little bit more formal. And then we also advocate test and learn. And so I think that's the other part of the arsenal that hasn't necessarily been brought out as much as it could be is we'll say, we believe this you know, particular campaign at this particular time with this audience is going to do well. Social is the least risky way to test it. So put out a poll or put out an example creative or even just broach the subject and see how people respond. And that's 
I think it's closing the loop between the people who would do that and execute on that in the in the media and the social insights team to be able to to bridge those two things together, which I hope is is the, is the evolution of it. I agree. I hope that's where we get to. I think we are. You know, from the the brand side conversations that I have, I think they want an answer to the question, the business question, in the most effective way to do that. Right. And I think we on the supplier side, we get really caught up in you know, the methodological rigor and, you know, on our favorite tools, et cetera, et cetera, which I'm not dismissing those as being important. So don't get mad at me, you know, supplier community. But pragmatically, I've always been an advocate of what is the right tool or combination of tools to answer the business question, because that's where we need to get to. And obviously, just from a data standpoint, ignoring the the mass of data that is available on social media, in particular, what you're doing with with images, as images and video become part and parcel of the experience, then we should be utilizing those. Now that said, think two years out, right? With everything going on in the world and technology, et cetera, et cetera, what does the future look like for Riveter, and particularly in your role, the role of, role of your technology? in the insights organization. What's that vision for you? I hope and what we're building toward is kind of the same way I described our relationship to ChatGPT as our best intern. <laughs> um, something that we can go to at any moment and ask something of it and get that quick response and, and then be able to take that back and apply our, our own knowledge and our own um, context to it. Is that I hope that brands and insights teams will think, I just want a, a quick answer, or I just want to see what's going on with my tribe or my segment. Ideally, in this future, they are community-oriented around their their brand's community and not just the, the general population. That's just as important. But to say, I have this question, let me just ask Riveter really quick, and then I'll take that back to my team and provide this. And I know it's quantitatively sound, and I know there's a lot of data behind it, but it's not scary. It's friendly. It's something that I can consult very quickly to feel like I'm in communication with my consumers without having to bother them. And they've already mentioned me. They've already talked about my category. They expect me to be seeing them. They expect me to be hearing what they're saying. So let me show them that I am on a day-to-day basis and let me make this kind of part of my everyday conversation, just like I would with a, a coworker who might have some expertise in this area. Very cool. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot for a minute, but in a good way, you get to pitch a little bit. So one of our listeners is a fast food chain, right? Maybe you haven't worked for them before. How long does it take for a new segment to get up to speed? How do you onboard a new segment that you haven't worked with before? <laughs> Something I'm actually excited about is we're releasing this year out-of-the-box segments. And so this includes things like fast food lovers. This includes travel aficionados and tech aficionados and luxury-oriented consumers. And so in theory, it can be just as simple as I'm in the sector and I want to look at group A. Uh, what can you tell me about them? And then and then we'll, we'll go back to them. But if a brand wants to really understand the community around, it's as simple as connecting their Instagram or their social and seeing who's engaging with them and pulling those trends in. The database automatically logs that and we can produce a, a really quick report. And then on the visual side, it's, it's actually kind of amazing as we can train a new category and in some cases in a matter of weeks. So those dye applications for hair is one example of something that, that worked really quickly. And so I think that's where the opportunity for innovation really is, is, okay, fast food person, what is important to you? Is it 
where they are when they're consuming it. Is it how they're consuming it? Is it who they're with? Let's train the machine to, to recognize that for you because we know that it, it will really make a difference to the decisions that you make for the brand. All right. I want to be conscious of time for you and our listeners. So we'll, we'll head towards wrapping up. But is there a trend that you identified without breaking the client confidentiality, right? But you identified a trend that just surprised you. You were like, oh, wow. Okay. That's really interesting. That there was just kind of revelatory for you personally. A couple. I'll share the one that we kind of share the most because it's such an example of a beautiful visual trend. So this is the Unicorn Frappuccino was released, I, I want to say in April of 2017. Did very well. It became very socially viral, did very well for Starbucks. But this unicorn aesthetic went way beyond food, right? So it was in it was in beverage, it was in fashion, it was in makeup. What we saw in our data is actually a year before these big products had been launched, we could already see women combining pastel blue, purple, pink makeup. They didn't have a name for it yet. They weren't calling it unicorn yet. But this trend toward this nostalgia to that kind of aesthetic was already going on a year in advance of, of those product launches. And when you trace it back, you can actually see that there was a woman who was, we call her a micro-influencer, but she had a food blog, um, had posted on Instagram for creations. She painted a piece of toast with colorful yogurt and named it Unicorn Toast. And that was the first example that we saw unicorn being meant to, to give words to this thing that was already happening. So we love that example because it just shows how quickly things can happen. It shows that things can happen from social <laughs> and the average people can start trends and, and diffuse them. And then how important timing is that you want to kind of get in on that on that upswing and, and be able to address that. And some things are ingredients, right? So they're not visually interesting, but we can say, see that same curve. So there's a lot happening now with just awareness of what's in our food and in our skincare and, and people being able to talk about that and share that, that we're also really excited about on the other side. Very cool. Unicorn toast. All right. <laughs> That sounds more interesting than avocado toast. I know my kids, dad, try avocado toast. Like, no, that just looks gross. The unicorn <laughs> toast, I, I could get behind that. That sounds like it would be pretty good. So, all right. So 2023, what's on the horizon for you and for the company? What are you just looking forward to about this year? I think the thing that I'm most excited about really is how mainstream the conversation around AI has become and how now it's an expectation that we know how we want to use it, that we're going to be thinking about how to use it in our day-to-day -day lives. And so I hope that that brings people to us to say, okay, but now I do want AI to help me in my insights. And now I do want that connection via social. And that's the other side is that we're starting to think a lot more around communities and the communities around brands and how brands think about their audiences in, in that format. And so bringing those two together, I think now's the time people are open to both things. They're talking about th both about both things and hopefully we get to work with them. Very cool. All right. So uh, outside of work, what, uh, uh, if you're like me, there really is, you hear that and go, what? Outside of work, <laughs> what are you talking about? But where do you spend your, your non-thinking about riveter time? What are you enjoying right now? <laughs> I think I've been lucky enough that I've been an entrepreneur for eight plus years. So there is actually a, a time in that area where the startup stops becoming your life, which is nice. <laughs> you start thinking about, about other things again. So we just moved to New York a year ago. And so we're still exploring the city. And I think that's what I'm most excited about is there are all these microcultures, all these little neighborhoods and 
you know, you can take the insights person out of the job, but <laughs> then they'll go out and observe people. So I am excited about that. And I think summer's around the corner. It'll be really great to see the city in that way. Summer in New York City. Uh, I'll tell you, my worst, some of my worst memories are July in New York. And this comes from somebody who raised in the South. So I got to warn you. You're like, oh my God, it's so humid in Atlanta. It's like, dude, if you walked down Madison Avenue in July, <laughs> so if you haven't experienced that yet, Andy, I gotta, I gotta warn you. <laughs> now I know why people go other places in the summer. Thanks for the warning. Because <laughs> it's an oven. You have these buildings and they're reflecting <laughs> the sun down on the black asphalt and it's just hot. So anyway, but it's still a very cool place. All right. Anything that you would like to share that I didn't ask? Gosh, I mean, I think if we had a whole other hour, I would be asking you. I think there's so much that you see and, you know, questions that are maybe staying unanswered in the, in the inside space that are there areas where we can think about applying our technology? Are there kind of gaps that we can fill? So let's have a long conversation after this about those things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you have my email, so I look forward to it. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much, truly. Again, I can't remember exactly how we connected. Do you remember exactly how we connected? I think it was through an Insights veteran who had been also been on the disruptive technology side and said, you know, you got to talk to Lenny because he'll help contextualize <laughs> for, for everybody else. Okay. Well, yeah, it's ancient history now, right? I mean, <laughs> but I'm glad that we did. So, and I hope audience, you'll take from this that, you know, there are so many incredible existing applications of technology, like what Riveter is doing around imagery, really should be part of the toolkit within the Insights organization. Obviously, it has very specific use cases if you're working on brand product, you know, those type of things, of course. But overall, that synthesis approach, I believe, is the future of the industry. Companies like Riveter, you're helping to make that happen. And as this technology continues to expand, we're just going to find more and more use cases. So thank you for being a pioneer and helping to kind of knock down that wall and helping us all think of all the cool stuff that can be done. Thank you, Lenny. Thanks for being an advocate for startups. And it was a pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Well, that is it for today. Thank you to our producer, Natalie, our editor, James, to you, our listeners, because of course, without you, it would just be Andy and I talking, which would be fun, but you know, it, it adds a little more oomph that we're doing it for you as well. So that's it. We will catch you on the next episode of the Greenberg Podcast. Bye for now. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.